Right, so let's go to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. And we're just going to read two verses. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1 and 2. Trying to think of what to preach on the last Sunday night of the year. Last Sunday night of the year, I kind of want to just challenge us a little bit and uh, maybe uh, exhort, you know, this is a message of exhortation, I think. And kind of, you know, I don't want to pat you on the back too much because I don't want to, I don't want to butter you up too much and then you all get lazy and think everything's good, you know. But at the same time, uh, I think we've done some good stuff this year, but I think we need to keep going, you know, keep moving forward and do even better next year. So, what I guess I want to do tonight, I want to kind of, you know, acknowledge, you know, some good stuff that I've seen, uh, with the hopes that maybe you will continue on with this and maybe even double down. On it. And so it says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1, let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. So right here, it's just kind of random. It's short, but Hebrews, you know, whenever I read it, I'm always thinking, man, it's got to be Paul that wrote Hebrews. And I don't know that for sure. We talked about it when we studied through Hebrews, but the end, the last chapter of many of Paul's writings, when it gets to the last chapter, there's a lot of just random things that are thrown in there. You know, he just kind of gives them all these little exhortations. Hey, greet this person. Hey, send this person to me. You know, a lot of instructions like that. And the same thing happens here in Hebrews. He just he's kind of thrown some things, and then in two verses, he gives them a couple of just quick instructions. He says, Hey, let the brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. And what I want to challenge you all to do tonight is let brotherly love continue. I believe that one of the good things about our church, one of the pluses around here, is I think we're pretty friendly. It seems like, and man, sometimes pastors can be oblivious to stuff going on, and I hope I'm not. I hope I'm not just in the dark and y'all are thinking, man, this guy is blind and has no clue what's going on. But it seems like we get along pretty good around here. You know, I haven't noticed a lot of fighting. I haven't really noticed a negative spirit. And maybe I'm oblivious. But I hope not. I think... You, know, you can kind of tell when stuff's going on, can't you? I mean, let's just admit it. You know, husbands and wives, if, if they've just had a knockdown drag out on the way to church, you know, you, know, you, you can tell sometimes. And, you know, it's, uh, you, you try to ignore it and act like you're not noticing it. And I know that nobody in here has ever had that problem before. But uh, at the same time, when there's fighting going on in the church, people pick up on it. Okay, and if you do, if you have a problem with somebody in the church, you can say I'm keeping it to myself. But the truth is, nobody keeps it to themselves. People can tell. You know, the person you're mad at can tell. Other people can tell, and it really just creates a hostile environment. And the last place we should have a hostile environment is in the church, for sure. And he tells them here in Hebrews, hey, let brotherly love continue. So they're obviously doing pretty good at it here, and he's telling them to continue on. In it. And I believe that one of the ways that we can have a better year this year than last year is continue in brotherly love. You know what, this year, I believe, you know, we ought to, you ought to just make it a point, you know, hey, I'm gonna be a friendly person. I'm gonna be friendly to other people at the church. I'm going to make coming to church a better experience for somebody else. And there's many ways you can do that. I mean, just your attendance makes the service better for everybody else. It makes it better for the preacher. Okay? If, I mean, I, I'm, you know, 
I'm just going to admit something to y'all here. Standing in front of you tonight is a human being. Okay? A man of like passions as all of you. And you know what? It is, it is, I, while I'm encouraged when we have a good crowd and everybody shows up, I get discouraged sometimes when it's the other way. And people don't show up, especially when you don't know why. And you're wondering what's going on. And oh, did I make them mad with last week's message? I was kind of rough last week, you know. Uh, they're going to come back. You know, the devil he'll throw that stuff at you. And you know, just you know, you being absent sometimes it might affect me. Okay, I, I try to just let it roll off, and and I think I do pretty good. But at the same time, I'm just going to admit it. I'm not going to act like Superman up here. But the, and it. If y'all just are having a bad day and you don't feel like coming, well, you know what? It might end up affecting me negatively. And if I'm affected negatively, it's going to probably come across in my preaching. You know, I've got a message on letting brotherly love continue, but you know what? I'm ticked off because of somebody not being at church today, and so I just let everybody that is there have it about church attendance. You ought to be in the house of God, bless God. What's wrong with you, you dirty, rotten backslider? And you know, and preachers do that sometimes, and it's funny, they beat the people up that are there and that are doing it. And it's like, you know, the people that need to hear it aren't there. And so, you know, you know, give them a break. But you know what the problem with that preacher is? He's he's a human, alright? He you the people got him in a bad mood and it came out in his preaching. And you know, your attendance helps with that. You know, just you know, participation, being encouraging, paying attention, not leaving to go to the bathroom every five minutes during a service, you know, things like that help the service. They help it helps me. It helps me keep focused. Okay, you know, I'm nosy like anybody else too. I mean, if all of a sudden people get up and are leaving, I'm like, what's going on? You know, if you answer your phone and leave during the middle of the service, oh man, I wonder what that was. You know, it's distracting, okay? I mean, I've got some severe ADD as it is, and I don't need that stuff. Turn your cell phone off right, during service. You know, please do that. You know, don't be looking at it. And we did one time. We had a, we had a lady that it was when we first started, and her cell phone went right off in the middle of the service. She's up towards the front, and instead of just turning it off and acting embarrassed like it didn't happen, she got up and left and answered it. And she apologized after the service, and in the nicest way, I was just like, hey, "Yeah, well, you know, maybe next time, you know, don't answer it in the middle of the service. That was kind of distracting." <laughs> She didn't appreciate that very much. You know, I'm sorry, but I don't think we're asking too much when we ask that you not answer your cell phone in the middle of service, okay? It's just, it's, it's distracting. But you see, what happens, people, they get so focused on themselves that they don't care that they're disrupting everybody else in the service. I mean, their, their phone call too. We, I mean, we had another lady that was coming back in the early days that you'd see her something, and she'd be texting right in the middle of service, texting on her phone, and you know people like that don't get anything out of the service as it is. I mean, one time she was having an argument with her husband on the phone right during service. Okay, you don't do that. Okay, that's thinking of yourself. That's not thinking of everybody else. And so many people today, when they come to church. It's with a very self-centered attitude, and when you have that self-centered attitude, you know it can it can kind of spread. And Bible you know says, let brotherly love continue. Be thinking about other people. How can I make this church experience better for everybody else? 
You know, how can I help the pastor? How can I help you know other other members in the church? How can you know I mean just little things, okay? I mean you can make the usher's day a little better just by putting something in the offering. No usher wants to get up there and just walk back and nobody even put anything in the plate. Alright? Help him out. Make him feel like he's accomplishing something and doing something and give him a whole bunch of money he's got to carry back. So he feels feels like he feels like he's accomplishing something. I mean, you know, just your participation, paying attention. If somebody's singing a special or or playing an instrument, you know, just complimenting them. Okay, now they're not looking for the compliments. I know they're trying to glorify God, but at the same time, you know, acknowledging what people are doing, let them know that you pay attention, that you appreciate what they're doing. That kind of thing is so important, and many people are just completely oblivious to that because they're only thinking about themselves and those people aren't going to be continuing in brotherly love. They're too you know, consumed with loving themselves. And you know, go to Psalms 133. I want to show you something there. See, and what, you know, this this brotherly love thing, okay? I, I, this is a very important thing in church. And this might sound weird, you know, coming from a fundamental Baptist preacher that's always, you know, preaching against everything. But uh, at the same time, I, I do, I mean this. It says in Psalms 133, 1, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments, as the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. It is a good and pleasant thing for brethren to dwell together in unity. Okay, that And listen, unity is an attractive thing for everyone. Okay, when you when people come into the church, it is it is encouraging to them. It's refreshing. It's a blessing to them when they see a unified church. When they see people who are getting along. When they see people that love each other. People want that kind of thing. You know how many people today? I mean, there are a lot of people out there like this that literally do not have any friends. They don't have friends, and many of the people that do have friends. All their friends are on the internet. They think because they've got friends on Facebook. That's not real friends, folks, okay? I'm just going to tell you right now, those are not real friends. They're not there for you. Having people present, people with you, people that know who you are, people that know your name, people that know when it's your birthday, people that are concerned when you're sick, everybody wants that and everybody needs that. But you know what? Most people, they don't know where to find that. And church should be the place where to find that. But many people have tried church and people didn't give a rip about them there. Nobody paid a bit of attention to them. And we ought to do what we can to get to know people. And when they see that unity, when they see that love, it is refreshing. They want to be a part of it. Okay, And listen, we see unity here. And many times all of a sudden we start thinking about, well, you know, the things that we disagree with. Most of the people that are going to come to this church, okay, that visit are probably not going to be of the Baptist persuasion, especially if they're people that we reached out knocking doors, passing out flyers. A vast majority of this community is not Baptist. And do you think they're all going to agree with everything we do here? Okay? So should we run them out? No. Okay, listen. Most of these people, I'm just going to tell you right now, 
while they might, even if they are from a Catholic church, a Methodist church, whatever it is, most people today when it comes to their religion are not real strong on what they believe. They're not real firm on it. They might come from a church that uses perverted Bibles. They might come from a church that's wrong on salvation. But listen, most people are not real strong on their convictions. And if they come to a church where they see people that love each other, see a place where there's unity, they're going to want to be a part of it. And you know what? I don't think it's going to be hard to win those people over. It's not as hard to win people over as you think. But if we are, if we're mean to them, if we act like we're better than them, they're not going to be. They're not going to hang around. It's just not going to happen. And but and so if we can have that united spirit, especially when we're in, when we're not all exactly alike. You know, we've got people here that have you know of all different spiritual ages, from a lot of different backgrounds, and I'm thankful for that. But if we all acted exactly alike, looked exactly alike, you know, people are going to figure out real quick. I'm probably not going to fit in around here. But if we're loving everybody, okay? If we love everybody from the senior citizens to the little children to the rich folks to the poor folks, people see that. People want to be a part of that. And so that, you know, and because dwelling together in unity, that is a very pleasant thing. Behold how good and how pleasant. And listen, we should never sacrifice truth for unity. And we're not going to do that. We are never going to sacrifice truth for unity, okay? We believe the Bible around here. We're not going to change what we believe on things. We're not going to change our convictions. But you know what? When somebody comes through and they don't agree with us right away, we are not going to throw them out. We're going to just love those people. We're going to get to know those people. And they might stick around. They might not. But one thing they're going to know when they come here is this is a place where they're welcome. It's a place where they're loved. And... If they've got a huge problem with some of the things we're teaching, then you know eventually they they'll probably go. But I hope it's not going to be because we were just we treated them like garbage and they didn't feel like they were good enough. We shouldn't do that. But we should never sacrifice truth for unity. But at the same time, we should never sacrifice unity for foolishness. Okay, go to First Timothy chapter one. First Timothy chapter one. I want to show you something in here. I think some because like I said I I believe on standing strong, I believe on sticking to the scriptures, fighting the good fight, all that stuff. But at the same time, we can get ridiculous sometimes and end up getting ourselves in trouble and really hurting the spirit of the church. Look what it says in First Timothy chapter one and verse two. Uh, it says, "Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine." All right. So hey, stay strong. Anybody comes in here trying to teach any other doctrine, we ain't gonna let him do it, folks. All right. But then, but at the same time, you know, he, notice how he says, "Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies." which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of good conscience and of faith unfeigned, from which some having swerved have turned aside unto vain jangling. Okay, and you know, vain jangling. You don't hear that term very much, but it basically just means random talk or babble. Okay? And listen, okay, he said, don't let anybody teach any other doctrine. 
And he's talking, and a lot of times when we think about this, we think about people coming in and bringing in full, you know, other doctrines. We think about other people coming in and bringing in the vein jangling, you know, asking weird questions, things that just aren't important and don't matter. But you know what I've noticed most of the time when there's a problem with the vein jangling, okay, it's not with the new people that come. It's with the people that have been around for a long time. They, we, you know, we get all caught up in some weird thing, something that you know we've decided that this is important, and this is, you know, this is where we stand, and you know, y'all, everybody that comes better agree with this. Things that just aren't that important, and many times it's not the, you know, outsiders that do this. It's the you know, people that have been around for a long time, the the members, the established folks, even the pastor, and we got to make sure that you know we don't, you know, that we pick our battles. All right, if somebody wants to come in here and you know try bringing in other Bibles, that's a good battle. I think we need to fight that one. We're not gonna, we're not going to do that. I think we need to keep. You know, I, I believe we need to have good music in the church. One thing that there's always going to be. There's always going to be people that are going to come in and they're going to try to bring in their music. Okay, they're going to try to jazz it up, rock it up, whatever. That's a constant battle in church. It's one we got to watch out for. Be very careful. Um, you know, but at the same time, you know, let's not you know get caught up in things that just don't matter. You know, endless genealogies. Some of the things that are you know when you look at the genealogies, there's some things that you look at it, ah, that doesn't really add up exactly right. If you go into, I'm going to give you all a secret here. If you go into the genealogies in Luke, when it goes from Jesus to Adam, there's an extra name that is in there. I forgot where it is exactly, but there's a there's a there's an extra Canaan in there that's not in Genesis. What's he doing there? Is there something wrong with our Bible? You know. We're not going to get all caught up in that and get all worried about a name and a genealogy. Okay? We're not going to do that. But people do, they pick weird things and they make a huge deal about it and end up causing division in church over it. You know, causing fighting in church over those things. And we should not do that. Go to, and then go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Chapter 6 and verse 2. He says, and they have, they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud knowing nothing but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Notice in here, you know, he said, you know, teach wholesome words. Teach the words of the Lord Jesus. Teach the things that He taught. But you know what? What goes on in a lot of churches today is creating a bad spirit. Is perverse disputings of men. Alright, you know, fighting over words, fighting over terminology. That stuff is going on big time amongst Baptists right now. And let me tell you, it's something I gotta watch. I'm the type of person if I see a fight going on, I want to get involved. You know, I'm just I naturally want to dive into it. You know, uh, it's just my nature, I guess. But you know what? 
I don't want to do this like the Bible says. You know, because the Bible says that person, they're proud. They don't know anything. And a lot of these people that do all the fighting, they don't know that much about the Bible. But they're proud. They just, they've got an opinion and they want to make sure everybody hears it. And they don't even, they don't know anything. They're doting about questions and strifes of words. You know, can we really know this? You know, people they want to fight about stuff in Genesis in the pre-flood world. You know, can we really know? You know, maybe when it comes to you know what's going to go on, you know, after the millennial reign of Christ. I don't know. <laughs> you know, well, I was going to have one, but you know, we can all start assuming and we can guess and just, you know, just fighting over those things. Well, I think I, I agree with the Mormons. I think we're all going to get our own personal planet that we get to inhabit and have. And you know, I mean. We, we don't know. We're not going to get all caught up in stuff that the Bible doesn't say anything about or says almost or very little about. Let's stick to the things that we know, you know, the words of our Lord Jesus. And if we want to, you know, amongst ourselves, you know, have deeper discussions on some of these things. I think it's okay. I think it's okay to talk about that stuff. I love talking about the pre-flood world. I love talking about the end times. I love to, I love talking about you know angels and demons and the spirit world. I like talking about all that stuff. But at the same time, we definitely don't need to be doing any fighting over that kind of stuff. We don't need to be making it a focal point around here to the point where we just can't get along because. You know, we're arguing about things we can't know. Well, I've decided that the you know we believe around here the rapture is going to come. You know, in 2018, I just picked a random year. You know, and we're going to you know start causing trouble in the church over a date. We can't know that. We can't know for sure. There's just some things we can't know for sure. And those are the things people want to argue about and talk about. And a lot of that's vain jangling. We're not going to do, we're not going to do that. And we're especially not going to run people off because of that. So let's just continue in brotherly love. That's what Bible wants. You know, wholesome words. Let's teach things that edify, that encourage people, that motivate people, you know, motivate people. We're going to preach against sin. We're not going to stop doing that. We've been commanded to do that. We've been commanded to reprove and to rebuke, but we've also been commanded to exhort. And so, you know, try to motivate people. And so, we ought to have this attitude of being ready to reconcile and edify those that need it. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 18. It says, "...and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation." To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now, we ought to get so excited about this verse, okay? He says, God did not impute their trespasses unto them. In other words, God didn't give them what they deserve, and He gave us the ministry of reconciliations. He says in the next verse that we are ambassadors for Him. Okay, And then in verse 21, "...for He hath made Him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we may be made the righteousness of God in Him." Okay, It is our job. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We don't have to give people what they deserve. And you know one of the biggest things that starts causing friction in churches and starts causing fighting and problems is somebody does something to somebody in the church and we that person's got to pay. I mean, look look what that person did. 
we, we've got to make this right. That person needs to be brought before the church. Everybody needs to know what they did. And we've just got to let them have it. We've got to tell them they've got to get it right. They've got to do whatever. We're going to throw them out. We're always anxious to impute people's sins to them, aren't we? When Jesus didn't do that to us. And He's given us that ministry. It's our responsibility to do that same thing. And unfortunately today, it is many Christian people when it comes especially to the lost world, okay, you see those people that are living wicked, sometimes we get to the point that we're just like, you know what? Let them go to hell. That's how we are. You know what? Just let them. They deserve it. They're done. Yeah, you know what? I knocked on their door and they cussed me out. Well, how about that ministry of reconciliation? How about asking out, Lord, you know, don't... Don't give them what they deserve. You know they deserve for a tornado to come and take their house out. You know out with them in it. <laughs> but you know no, we don't pray that. You know we pray that the Lord will forgive them. Pray that you know the Holy Spirit will convict them and speak to their heart. That ought to be the attitude that we have. And unfortunately, there's a lot of churches out there that have been about the same size for years and never reached anybody, never growing. You know why? Because. That everybody that's in that church is mad at everybody else in town. I mean, they are they've got so many vendettas against everybody. They're mad at everybody that's left their church. They're mad at all these everybody that's never come to their church. And then somebody actually does visit that church and they go walking into that freezer. I mean, it's cold in that place. I mean, they can just feel the tension, they feel the bitterness, they feel the anger. Nobody wants to go there. Nobody wants to be a part of that. But that place where there's that brotherly love, that place where people are dwelling together in unity, people love that. They want to be a part of that. And we will be more likely, we will more likely bring people to the truth by having a unified spirit, having a loving attitude, than by us just screaming in their face about every little thing. Somebody comes walking in here and you know for the first time, and they're carrying an NIV Bible. I'm not going to knock it out of their hand and, you know, here's a King James Bible. What's wrong with you? Okay, I had a preacher one time. We went to a church, you know, he was just like, hey, how you doing? Good to have you. It's like, it's like, did you bring your NIV Bible with you today? You know, he just kind of set me up and I was just like, no, I brought a King James. He's like, that's good. <laughs> and just kind of, and, you know, I, I, he probably could tell I was a King James or guy anyway, but, uh, you know, sometimes, boy, I've heard some stories about people that have walked into churches and where they didn't fit in. And listen, you know, if we're if we're out knocking doors, if we're out souling, if we're out inviting people, most visitors they're not going to fit in right away, are they? It's not going to happen. But we've got to make them at least feel like they're loved and they're important. And eventually, if what we're doing is right as they grow in Christ. They're going to fit in real quick. And so, we need to help them do it. So, not only do we need to continue in brotherly love, but notice what it says in verse 2. You know, it says, and forget not to entertain strangers. Okay? Entertaining strangers. What does, you know, what does that mean exactly? I was reading some commentary on that verse, and it was saying, I'd never thought about this before, but when it says, some have entertained angels unawares, it said in the commentary that that was referring to Abraham and Lot. Remember the story where Abraham saw outside his tent and he saw three men standing? 
And we believe that one of them was actually God in human form. It was actually Jesus Christ. And He had two men with Him. And what did He start doing? He started serving them. You know, he started you know, getting something for them to eat. You know, he fed them. He was entertaining these people. He was taking care of them. Turns out, this is the Lord and a couple of His angels. And they remember a lot. When the angels, after that, they went... They look towards Sodom, and those two men went there to Sodom, and it turns out they're angels, and they go and they meet Lot, and he brings them into his house. I don't know if he knew they were angels right away. And according to that commentary, he was saying that's what I was talking about. I was talking about Abraham and Lot. Interesting thought. But at the same time, the Bible's not saying here that we need to do this because we don't want to miss an opportunity to minister to angels. Okay? He's telling us this because we need to. You know, minister to other people. We need to minister to strangers. Many times when the Bible talks about strangers, it's talking about foreigners. Okay? And, you know, I understand that if somebody that is a resident of Rock Falls comes and visits this church, we wouldn't consider them foreigners. But at the same time, the average citizen of Rock Falls, if they come and visit this church, they're foreigners, aren't they? Because there's quite a bit of difference between us and between the world. Hopefully. There should be a difference. And we need to make sure that when it comes to our love, that it doesn't stop with just the brethren that we love other people too. Okay, And most of our opportunities to do that are not going to be inside the church. It's going to be outside the church. And something you know, I've been... You know, thinking about a lot lately, and just praying about when it comes. You know, when it comes to missions, I don't know of any, or or very few missionaries and missions in Muslim countries. Okay, and there's a good reason for that. It's illegal in most of those countries. If you go, if I went and decided I'm going to be a missionary in Iran, I'm probably going to get killed real fast. But at the same time, I was thinking about it. You know. We've, everybody's freaking out about all these Syrians that are coming over to America. And I got to thinking, you know, I finally decided what my official position is about Syrian refugees. As an American, I'm against them coming into our country. But as a Christian, if they do, I'm gonna, I want to take advantage of it. Really, that's, if we can't win them in America, we're not going to win them over there, are we? And is, shouldn't we be looking at this type of thing as a great opportunity? I mean, that, I, I, that's the way I'm going to look at it. Hey, I kind of, you know, as a citizen of the Sterling Rock Falls area, do I want Syrians moving into our area? Not really. Not going to feel real safe. But as a Christian, if they do, I'm going to try to see if I can't be a blessing to some of those people. I'm going to see if I can't try to get to know them. See if I can't... Maybe just show them some love and maybe win them to Christ. Can you imagine that? Folks who just a few years ago were in a completely Muslim country that were going to their mosques and, you know, praying to Allah, you know, three times a day or whatever. See them sitting and become, being a member of this church. To see them get baptized. I think we ought to be looking at these type of things as opportunities, shouldn't we? And unfortunately, we get so comfortable with our own little group sometimes, we forget that there's all kinds of people out there that if they get saved, could be one of us so fast. And it doesn't matter where they're from. It doesn't matter what their background is. I mean, Jesus Christ saves them. He can change their life. And we could. I would love to see that. And maybe some of those people 
Okay, they could go back to those countries and end up being a witness in those countries. I can't do that. I will never be able to go to a place like Syria and spread the gospel and win anybody. But you know what? If one of them come here, I could win them, and they could go back and spread the gospel. I mean, we don't we don't look at people as opportunities. Now we do sometimes in a selfish way. But I'm talking spiritually. We ought, to, we ought to look at everybody that's out there. Hey, this is a potential member of Liberty Baptist Church. If they get saved, that's another soul that's going to go to heaven. That person that's out there too, they're going to, everybody that we win, they've all got friends, they've all got family members that we're not going to be able to reach, but they could reach. And so, you know, it's like, you know, we think that just because we put an ad in a newspaper, we put a flyer on somebody's door, that we have fulfilled our obligation, that's going to get them here. I'm telling you today, we're going to have to try a little harder. We're going to have to make a little extra effort. And we're, we just might have to be nice to some people. We just might have to, you know, invite somebody over. You might have to bake somebody a pie or a, a cake. You know, you might have to, you know, grill, when you're grilling, invite them to come over and eat with you. You know, you might have to do that kind of thing. And I know we're Americans and we're Northerners especially and when we don't talk to anybody, we keep to ourselves and we're snobby. That's how we are in this culture. But you know what? We need to get over that. And I think we need to start entertaining strangers. Because Not because we think they might be angels, but because we think, you know what? That could be another brother in Christ before long. That could be another member of Liberty Baptist Church. That person could be a missionary to another country. You see that Muslim person, they're dressed up like that. Okay? You know, don't go taking pictures and spying on them because you think they might be terrorists and stuff. You know, that stuff drives them nuts, alright? You know, I understand as American we gotta do that kind of thing, but as Christians, okay, why don't we just depend on God to protect us? And why don't we love those people and try to, you know, be a help and a blessing if they're moving next door to you? Go offer to help them move. Now I know you're going to be scared to death, okay? <laughs> but at the same time, you know, they're going to be a lot less likely to blow you up if you've been nice to them, you've helped them move, and you've been good to them. You know, just you know, do things for them. Let everybody else, you know, do all the other stuff and you know, throw a big fit. You know, be hospitable. In, invite that, you know. It, Invite people over to your house. You know, be gracious. Colossians chapter four, verse five and six. I'll read a couple of verses to you there. Be gracious with people. We are uh, not very gracious sometimes. It says, "Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer." Every man. Did you see that? Okay, walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Towards those on the outside. To the lost people. Be wise on how you approach them. Be wise on how you talk about them. You know, be strategic. Okay? You know, we're not, I'm not talking about being deceptive, but I love what Jesus said. You know, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Okay? I mean, I don't, even if you got if you got to trick them into your house, however it is, okay. I mean, whatever whatever you got to do, you're you're not hurting them if you're just 
introducing them to Christ. Okay, that's not going to hurt anybody, so we're allowed to be a little sneaky. All right, you can go ahead and do that. But it says, you know, redeeming the time. We don't have a lot of time. Okay, if there is ever going to be a revival in some of these Muslim countries, I'm telling you right now, we don't have a lot of time. I don't believe there. I don't believe there's a lot of time. And I, I do. I've always just kind of had a burden to just get the gospel to some of these Muslim countries. It doesn't seem like anybody's trying that ever really has happened. And I do. I see them coming to America as an opportunity. And at the same time, it's like, but I don't know where any of them are moving to. You know, and the Lord's got me here in Rock Falls, and I don't. I believe. You know, the Lord has given me this burden for a reason. I think we're going to have some show up. I really do. And so, uh, I'm going to watch for them. We don't have a lot of time if we're, ever, if we're going to make a difference in that, with them. So let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, okay? We're, we're trying to make it better. You know, what can you do and say to, you know, to be better, you know, to be pleasing, you know, whatever. I mean, you know how much of a blessing it is to people? I've, I've seen this before. When they're from another country, even if you just greet them in their native tongue, they appreciate that. I remember I learned, uh, I, I used to love the German language and I was always you know, studying German. I had this uh, language teacher thing on my computer and I was always practicing with it. I always enjoyed doing that. And it was several years later, but I went to this car dealer and the guy, the salesman that came to help me, man, just thick German accent. I mean, just thick. I, I was like, Are "You from Germany?" And he's like, "He's like, yeah, I'm you know, from Germany." And then I was just, I said, "We get Feldstein in here." And he's, oh, yeah. He got all excited and just starts saying all the stuff, and I'm like, "I don't know what you said." <laughs> I was like, "I was like, I, I know what I'm supposed to say, but I, I know very little response." And I'm like, and I'm like asking him all the questions I know to ask in German. You know, you know, Zinzi verheiratet. I guess you know, are you married? Things like that. And, you know, and then you know, he he would get excited and he would like answer these long answers. And I I, I know what I just said, but I have no idea what you just said. <laughs> but man, it really meant a lot. And I talked to this guy for a really long time. And boy, you know, if you have a neighbor, you move and you find out they're from another country, go learn some greetings in their language. You know, go learn if you know if you were if you're gonna make some food for them or whatever. Uh, you know, learn how to say you know would you like this food and just take it over there. Maybe they can't communicate you with you, but I'm telling you that kind of thing means a lot to folks. I can't imagine being the person moving to another country where I don't really know anybody and the people don't speak my language. That'd be hard. And if somebody reached out to me like that. Just trying to learn a little bit of my language, it would it mean a lot. It would mean a lot to me, and I think I think we need to have that attitude. So be just be gracious. You know, give people too. You know, give people a second chance. Okay, the world has a lot of problems. Okay, they they don't talk very good. They use a lot of foul language. Uh, they don't know how to control their temper real well. I mean, they're going to mess up a lot. And you know what? Give people a second chance. Okay? If you have a spat with your neighbor, you know, and and he's clearly in the wrong, you know what? See if you can forget about it and continue to reach out, be kind to them. You know, judge them, but judge them with grace and mercy. People are so scared of being judged. You know, don't judge me. Don't judge me. But listen, 
we're all going to judge people. We can't help it. All right? It's like everybody wants us to walk around like zombies and not notice anything. Okay? But listen, if we have some visitors come to this church and their kids are sitting there, a lot of times you can tell those kids have never been to church. <laughs> or if they have, it's been a long time. You know what that's called? That's called judging, isn't it? You can tell. We can't help do that. It's like everybody wants us to walk around like zombies and pretend we don't notice anything. But you know what? How about you? when you do judge them, you're going to do it, judge them with grace and mercy. Hey, maybe they've been out for a while. Hey, maybe they've had some bad experiences. You know, maybe they've never really been taught the truth. You know what? Let's, you know, don't give those people dirty looks when their kids start acting up. Hey, don't, don't do that. Judge them with grace and mercy. Give them another chance. Hey, maybe it's been a while. Maybe the kids are just scared because they don't know anybody. You know, just be merciful to them. If your neighbor, you know, you have, you know, you have an altercation that doesn't go good, judge him with grace and mercy. Hey, you know, maybe he's struggling financially. Maybe he's having marriage problems. You know, whatever, and just give him the benefit of the doubt. Be nice. Be gracious and mercy. You know, just be generous with people. Okay? And not just financially, but just in, in your kindness and, and what you'll do for people. You know, be generous with your time and, and even be you know, generous with stuff. So, you know, take, giving them food, helping them out, just being there for them. You see they're working on something in their yard and they need help, get over there and help them out. You know, so loving strangers. Don't do, do not forget that. I think it is key this year. We need to let the brotherly love continue and we need to love strangers. We need to love those on the outside, those who are without. Try to be a blessing. Try to make a difference. And at the same time, while we're doing these things, while we're focusing on these things, we can never, ever forget who it is that we're really trying to please. Because okay? didn't Jesus tell us to do this kind of thing? Didn't He tell us that when we do things for others, we're doing it for Him? See, this isn't so much about pleasing our neighbor because most of the time you're not going to want to please your neighbor. Okay, most of the time, you know, whenever whenever we we hear about the next terrorist thing that happens, if we've got Muslim neighbors, we're not going to want to be nice to them. Okay, but if we're trying to please God, we will. You're not, you know, hopefully you're not going to get mad at God. You're not going to be ugly with Him, and so you're going to try to. Be a blessing. And so when you realize you're doing it for Christ, you're not going to notice other people's faults. He said to do these things for other people. So who cares if they have some faults? Who cares if they aren't everything they should be? Who cares if they don't deserve it? This isn't really for them. It's for Christ. And if we'll have that mindset, we'll do fine. When you realize you're doing it for Christ, it's not going to get old. Okay? Doing when most most people, one of the reasons they get stagnant in church, they get bitter about things in church, it gets old. You know why? Because they're not doing it for God. They're not coming to church for God anymore. It's for everybody else. And you know what? These people are ungrateful. These people don't care. They don't appreciate what I do. Hey, if you're doing it for Christ, it never gets old. At least it shouldn't. When you realize you're doing it for Christ, you'll never see it as being in vain. Many times, especially in smaller churches, people they take what their the things they do, they take their ministries they're involved in lightly because they feel like it's really for nothing. They feel like it, what they're doing just doesn't matter. Maybe they've got a Sunday school class and it's only got a couple kids in it. You know, oh, there's there's not I'm not helping that many people, and so they get a bad attitude about it. 
But when you realize you're doing it for Christ, it's not going to bother you. You know, one thing that was kind of weird for me when I started the church here, for that first year that we were here, the the whole church it was smaller than my Sunday school classroom, my, my Sunday school class at my old church. I mean, you know, the, the people that I was preached to every week was smaller than the choir that I directed over there. And there were times it's like, you know, I you know, Lord, why did you have me do this? I don't feel like I'm doing as much, even though I felt like I was working a whole lot harder than I ever was, started to feel like you know I'm not having much of an impact. But when I realize, you know, hey, I'm doing this for the Lord. You know, we're reaching new people. When you realize you're doing things for the Lord, nothing is in vain. First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Do you hear that? Your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Who cares if there's if two people show up that I preach to? You know what? That that work I did in that sermon, it wasn't in vain. It wasn't for anything because it was for the Lord. Your labor is not in vain in the Lord. If you're working in the nursery and there's only one kid in there, hey, your labor is not in vain. If it's for the Lord, nothing. there is nothing that you do that is for nothing. Everything you do is for the Lord and you will be rewarded. When you realize you're doing it for Christ, you know that you're not going to go unrewarded. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, verse 28 and 29, He said, Verily I say unto you, that which have followed Me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit on the throne of His glory, ye also shall sit upon the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for My name's sake shall receive an hundredfold, and shall inherit everlasting life. Nothing you do is going to go unpaid for by Christ. When He returns, everything is going to be taken care of. It doesn't matter how small it seems. Whether I'm preaching to five people or 500 people, okay, the work that goes into that, it is for the Lord. And it, it, the size of the crowd, the results, that, that doesn't matter to God. It's all going to be rewarded the same. And sometimes the devil convinces people because their ministry is small that it's not important. He'll get them focused on all the work that they're doing. You know, get them comparing their numbers maybe to some other places and it makes them feel like they're wasting their time. But the truth is, if you are serving the Lord, you are never wasting your time. Your labor is not in vain in the Lord you never are wasting your time. If we've got some kind of thing here, if you're, if we're having a potluck in your lady and you make, you work for three hours making some dish and hardly anybody shows up and nobody eats your food. Hey, that labor that you put in, it wasn't for nothing. Okay, if it was for the Lord, it was not in vain. It wasn't for nothing. And so let's just remember while we try to let the brotherly love continue, while we try to love others, love strangers, let's remember who it's really for. It's for Christ and it's never for nothing. Whatever we do this year, no matter how hard we work, no matter how small the results are, anything we do for the Lord this year will not be in vain. And let's not forget that. So let's all stand together right now.